Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. We have a very special guest coming on the show today, Miss Mary Cat DeMond. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, now, you know, whenever I have a new person come on, I always, like, have them say a little bit about themselves. So tell everyone out there, like, where in the world uh, you currently live at. Yeah, I live in uh, Milwaukee, well, around Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And yeah. are you born and raised in that area? No, I'm actually, I was born and raised in Minnesota. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and then I moved here for school and decided to stay, so. Do you like Wisconsin or Minnesota better? I think they both have their perks. I love them oh. both. <laughs> Didn't want to pick a side, huh? No. Very I safe, very safe. I like that. <laughs> All right. So the, one of the reasons I was going to have you come on today was I had found you on Instagram a few months back. And I thought that I saw that you talked a lot about being a plus size model. And I kind of just wanted to bring you on the show today and just kind of talk to you about what exactly is that industry like? Like, how did you get involved in that? Yeah. So I first started out um, a, a couple months ago. I think I did like my first photo shoot back in February. Um, and I, I actually like I won like a boudoir photo shoot and I really liked being in front of the camera and plus size modeling something I've always wanted to do so I kind of did did my research like you know I went on to google and I looked at what the steps were to become a plus size model and I originally attempted to submit to some agencies and I got some really good feedback but their their feedback basically said was that I need more experience so um, I started working with photographers in the Milwaukee and Chicago area and just kind of from there have, you know, getting more experience. I'm expanding my portfolio. Um, I actually did eventually sign on with an agency, uh, a boutique e- agency. Um, and from there it's been good. It's been fun. Just the, the COVID virus kind of put a little bit of a hold on it, but I'm hoping to get started back soon here. Right, right. So that's actually sounds really exciting. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. not the not the part about the virus, no. but you know, the new like path. I mean, that's really cool. How exactly mm-hmm. like what exactly like led you to want to do this in the first place? Like what was the like initial inspiration? I think that um there's some really awesome plus size models out there. Um and they've worked really hard and you know, like a huge shout out to you know, the plus size models who've been out around for, you know, decades. Um, but I, I grew up in a, a small town and to me, there was only, there wasn't a lot of access to, I would say the bigger, like I didn't have a smartphone, you know, stuff like that. So everything that I saw, you know, like in magazines and otherwise was basically, you know, filtered through. And so I, I kind of decided that I wanted to become part of this plus size modeling industry because I want to see more plus size models and I want to see more within like a variety of sizes. So like I'm on, I'm on like the bigger size. Like I'm not like a size 14 because all the plus size models I saw when I were a kid or when I was a kid were like 12, like in the size 12, I'm not not that small. And so I kind of wanted to get involved because first off, I I'm inspired by these women and 
um, I just wanted to become a part of it. So that's really cool. I, uh, yeah. so what have been some of like the challenges, like getting into an industry like this? I mean, obviously coronavirus presents a challenge mm-hmm. for everything, but like, you like, let's pretend like the pandemic wasn't happening, which I know is kind of hard to do, <laughs> but if it wasn't happening, uh, what are some of the challenges that you would normally run into being in an industry like this? Yeah. The, the starting out, it's really expensive. So when you're just starting out, um, and maybe it's not like this for everyone, but at least for me, you have to like pay for all your photo shoots and you have to, um, I would, I don't know if I would say you have to take classes, but I do think it helps to kind of learn, you know, different techniques and different, I would say take workshops, you know? And so like this whole learning process and paying for your own things, I would say like the, the biggest thing for me was that financial aspect that I really wasn't, you know, used to, I just kind of thought, oh, you sign on to an agency and they take care of everything. And and that's just not how it goes. Um, All your portfolio work, you pretty much do, you know, on your own in the beginning. And then from there, you know, once you start to get that experience and start to do different things, then from there, you're more likely to kind of like sign on to like a bigger agency and, you know, do more work. But before you're able to do that work, I would say that like that financial aspect is there. And then also, I think that especially when you say you're a new model, I think that there's people out there who are looking to take advantage of that and not just, you know, financial advantage. But I think that, you know, like when I was first starting out, I was kind of young and naive and as, as I kind of have been throughout my life, but um, you know, like you, you would go to work with a photographer and you would just kind of get like this kind of, you know, creepy feeling. And then you'd kind of realize that like, maybe they weren't there for the best of intentions, you know? Right. You know, and I think that's like a big thing that I think that models don't want to talk about, but I think that it's there that like sometimes you feel like you want to get as much exposure as you can, but then I think sometimes people sacrifice, you know, feeling safe. And I don't want to say like I haven't really been in too many situations where it's been unsafe, but I think there's been a few times where like I've worked with photographers and I kind of left and then like, you know, they said inappropriate things to me that I would never say to anyone in a professional work environment, probably wouldn't say to anyone, you know, in general, you know, so I think that from there, that's also a bit of a challenge is kind of learning like what's legitimate and not and what's not legitimate. Right. That's actually where I was just about to go with this next. Uh, How many times would you say that you've actually been in these situations where you felt uncomfortable and are photographers like always like male? So not all photographers are male. Um, and granted, like I've worked with some awesome male photographers and I've worked with some awesome female photographers and I've worked with photographers, you know, of different genders and all over the spectrum. Um, and I would say that a good majority are male. Um, I've never had any photographer who isn't male okay. be inappropriate towards me. Um, the only inappropriate ones I've experienced that with our male photographers, but I'm sure that there is photographers of other genders who are also inappropriate, but I would say maybe, maybe three or four times there's been times where I've just kind of like left the photo shoot feeling like, you know, that wasn't appropriate. And even, even if it's like a fully clothed photo shoot, like people will still say really inappropriate things. And I think that sometimes maybe it comes off as like a compliment, but it's not like, I don't think it's ever okay to comment on someone's body in a sexual manner. Right. Um, at least in my opinion. And I think that my little like rule that I like to follow is that if it's not something I would say at the office, it's certainly not something I'm going to say, you know, in the modeling world either. Right. No, that makes total sense. 
Now, I mean, I got to assume, I mean, no, it's just an assumption at this point, but that that behavior is probably pretty rampant in that industry. It um, definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am sorry that you had to deal with something <laughs> like that. You know, the, looking on the, some of the bright side, though, uh, where exactly would you like this profession to take you? Um, like, where, what, what are your aspirations with this? Is it just like a hobby or do you want to go something a little bit further with it? Like, tell me more about that. I think I, I like to look at this like a part-time job, you know, like I work full-time and I love my full-time job and I have no intention of ever really leaving that. Um, but for me, I've always, I'm always a person who's working I'm always moving I'm always doing different things. And so um, for me, I've always wanted to do this whole plus size Madeline thing and I've never done it for one reason or another. And then finally decided that like I was in, you know, the right mental state and the right financial state to actually be able to take this on. Um, and so right now I'm kind of viewing as like, as I would like a part-time job or as I would like, you know, I don't want to say like a side hustle, but somewhere along that lines, you know, I don't think I ever will do this unless the opportunity presents itself, you know, full-time. Um, unless of course there was a big opportunity that I couldn't turn down, then I think I would. But for me right now, I think I just want to get more exposure in this Midwestern area Um, Because there's a lot of plus size models out in New York and there's a lot of plus size models out, you know, in L.A., then you kind of get to the Midwest and and certainly we're here. But I think that there's just not as big of a market for us quite yet. Right. I feel like all of the arts and entertainment are kind of like hubbed on those in those Mm -hmm. two cities. And then there's kind of like sparsity, like in between, like throughout the rest of the country. So you were saying that, like, you know, you're doing this right now as like a part time thing. Mm -hmm. So what is your full-time job? You were telling me before that you are a social worker. Is that correct? Yeah, I work as a case manager um, with a long-term care agency in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I work in Milwaukee County. Um, my bachelor's degree is in social work. I'm actually currently working on getting my master's degree in social work as well. So oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Okay, so what do you like about that job? Like, why did you decide to take that up? Like, why did you go to school for that? Like, why did you decide to take a career in that? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah, so social work for me. So I knew ever since I was young that I wanted a job. And I would say, like, where I wanted a job where I was helping people. Um, and there's, there's plenty of jobs where you can do that. Um, but for me, it kind of boiled down to, like, my strengths. Like, I, you know, I have really good interpersonal skills. Um, I would say I'm fairly emotionally intelligent. And I would say that from there, I kind of was able to build on to like, where, where could that lead me in a career? Where can I use my strengths and where can I connect with people, you know, on a personal basis? And that kind of led me to social work. And then I also, I'm a little bit politically minded as well. And so I would say the nice thing about social work that maybe would be different than if you're looking at like other similar professions, I would say than like psychology um, is that there is a, there's a little bit of a political aspect to it. I would say that social workers have to be as connected with their community as they have to be with the people they work with, because you can't, I don't think you can do my job without being aware of what's going on in the political realm, because everything that happens kind of impacts, you know, the way that we do our job one way or another. So. Okay. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Like what exactly in the political realm, what affects your job? Like what kind of things would happen? Policy decisions or just like rhetoric or like just tell me more about that. I would say both rhetoric and policy decisions. So policy decisions um, and the aspect that my job is very 
I mean, a lot of our funding comes from the state. So obviously the state looks at, you know, what we're doing. And I would say within that funding, obviously, especially because like my job is particularly Title 19. So we're looking at those Medicaid dollars and um, they certainly don't want any overspending in Medicaid. Um, And so there's always that constant eye looking over us. And so that impacts the policies because it impacts how we're able to do our job. So I would say that like, a large percentage of my job is paperwork. Um, I would say for every hour that I spend with a client, there's two to three more hours of paperwork that I have to do. Um, to show, Oh yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, I think that people don't talk about this a lot, but I don't know very, very many social workers that actually work a 40 hour work week. I would say we work longer than that. Um, because there's just so much that's asked of us and that a lot of that comes from the policies you know, that are higher than the agency that I work for and maybe even higher than the long-term care I actually work for. So the way that I'm structured is that I work for, there's a umbrella agency, which is the long-term care agency. And then I work with a care management unit underneath that. Um, so a different organization and it's kind of like the funding structure. Because um, Milwaukee has a very, actually I would say Wisconsin has a well-developed long-term care program and you know, in comparison to other states, we don't have a waiting list, which is a big deal. But because of that, we have to carry large client caseloads. And so I right now I'm around 40. I wouldn't say I'm at 40, but I'm around that area. Um, and that impacts that. So like saying like the state is basically supposed to say like 40 cases is what it's at. But like when you think about it, my job is a little bit of a gamble because if I have five clients who need my assistance right away, that's, you know, I mean, how can I spend my day? So I would say that that's where the policy comes in. And then also like where Medicaid dollars are being spent impacts my job. And then also rhetoric, because I work with people who have um, a variety of abilities and skill sets. Um, You know, I would say the term, I don't really like to use the term disability because I would say that like many of my clients are able to, you know, live full lives, just have to adjust differently than I would say that someone who doesn't have, like different physical or you know mental barriers um but i would say that the way that people talk about persons with disabilities also impacts you know i would say the client like mindsets they work with i work with a lot of people who have degenerative brain disorders and so i work with a lot of people who have you know dementia or something along those lines and i think that the way that people talk about persons with dementia um will impact the mindset of my clients and so that really impacts the way that I'm able to do my job because I can walk in and someone might not trust me I mean I would say that there's a lot of mistrust around social workers and I wouldn't say that all of it's you know necessarily untrue I think that historically there has been a lot of issues with social workers and the way that they treat clients and you know along that line so yeah (laughs) okay I mean, yeah. it sounds like there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, yes. I think the the first thing that I want to ask you here uh, before we take a quick break is mm-hmm. what, let me, let me see here. Like what exactly like is like the average amount of like paperwork that you think you're doing on a given week? And do you think that it's inadequate? Like, do you think that it's like necessary or do you feel like it's excessive? I would say some of it is necessary. Um, again, so if I say like an hour with a client, two to three hours of paperwork. So I would say two thirds of my week is paperwork. 
And okay. then the other third is actual client interaction. Right now, we're not really doing face-to-face visits, but um, well, we, I mean, we actually just started back on doing them, but they're pretty restricted. So most of our work is being done over the phone. I wouldn't say that was necessarily typical. I would say most of my work was still probably over the phone, but I did a lot more face-to-face time um, before COVID, you know, and everything changed with that kind of policy. Um, and I would say some of the paperwork is not scary. I do think that there does need to be a way that people that our job should be tracked and that we can say like, this is what I'm doing. I think that the case notes are important as much as I don't like case noting. I think that's an important aspect of my job. I think care plans are important. I think that, you know, having different parts of the system, you know, of our system, we have a certain case noting system that tracks everything. I think that like having certain areas where we can, you know, contain client information and keeping that updated is important. But I think that sometimes we're putting the same information in five or six different spots, you know, or even sometimes in two or three different spots. And it's just, it becomes overwhelming where it's like, there's, there's better ways to streamline this. And I feel that maybe that's being overlooked a little bit. So. Okay. So a lot of just redundancy in some of the paperwork that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, you know, before we transition topics really quickly here, uh, I just want to give you a second to um, to plug yourself. Uh, please tell mm-hmm. people where they can find you on Instagram so they can kind of just like keep up with you, see more of your modeling career as it goes forward. Where can we find yeah. you? Yeah, so my Instagram handle is, you know, at, and then it's Mary, M-A-R-Y, underscore cat, C, or sorry, yeah, C-A-T, underscore demand. So D-E-M-O-N-D. And again, that's Mary, underscore cat, underscore demand. And that's my Instagram a plugging professional i love it (laughs) so you were telling me i think before that you are pretty politically minded is that correct Mm -hmm. yes okay well we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back i'm gonna ask you a little bit about this election we have this year and see your thoughts on that yeah okay we'll be right back Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. thought listeners has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side well then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode bathing beauties beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown missoula whether it's seed beads semi-precious stones vintage beads or just materials to make a project they have something for every person and every price range not from missoula don't worry they have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. 
You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. And welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us. We are still here with Mary Cat Demond, and I am going to ask her now about the election. Because <laughs> what else? This is a political podcast. Let's be serious. This is what you're here for. Mary, tell us. I, I'm not going to assume that I know your opinions on these things, because I, yeah. I, I legitimately don't, so this is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about this election? Um, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, or as I like to refer to them as uh, corpse number one and corpse number two. Yeah, I, um, I call them the Donald and creepy, champ, creepy, creepy Grandpa Joe. Um, so, I, yeah. yes, as someone who is definitely, um, I would say I, I do try to keep a little bit moderate, but I definitely lean left most of the time. Um, I find this election very frustrating. Uh, I think that it, as a woman, you know, it's frustrating. I think that I'm stuck, you know, choosing between two people who have histories of at least, at the very least, sexual harassment, if not sexual assault, you know, and so on. Um, Yeah. And, but then on the other end, you know, when I'm looking at, I, you know, we're looking at third party candidates, it becomes a risk. Um, I think that there's too much on the line to, you know, unfortunately not vote for Biden. Um, But on the other end, it's, I like to be excited about politics. And then it's just not too exciting for me. I would say it's exciting, but it's not on the other end. It's not too, it's not a fun kind of exciting. And I think it's a a frustrating level of, you know, and I think that some people, you know, maybe really like Joe Biden. I think that's great. I think everyone has their pros and cons. Well, um, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Yeah. Let me assume for a second that you were, are you, were you at any point in time thought about voting for Donald Trump in the I last like two I, years? I don't think I ever thought of that as an option. No. Okay. So let's rewind the clock back to mm-hmm. like six months ago, seven months yes. ago. Rather. Yep. All the Democrats that were in the field in the primary, mm-hmm. if you could pick one of them to be your nominee now, who would, it, who would it have been? Well, you have to think about who, where I'm born and raised. Um, so, so Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, is that uh, a endorsement of Amy Klobuchar? Yeah. Yes. I think I. You, well, because Amy Klobuchar, in my past history, you know, with just being in her district, growing up in her district, um, she was always accessible, and I think she always did a good job of representing the people. Okay. Um, she she's very appealing for people who are a little bit more moderate. Um, but I did like Pete Buttigieg. I have a oh Buttigieg. Buttigieg. There we go. I don't okay. know why I always like read it and then I never like. It took me it. a few I did times. Like yes, yes. So I did like him. And I did like Amy Klobuchar. Um, I was okay with most of the candidates, and I think I was I was okay with Joe Biden. Until I, until the assault accusations, I think, started to come out. Right. Um, and then from there, I think I was a little bit more hesitant. And I think maybe with any candidate, 
there's going to be things that are going to come out, but I think that there are, there are times where I'm like, there's a difference between. There's certain things that are a little more egregious than others. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, I felt like almost every candidate that anyone was taking seriously at the end there, whether it was like Bernie or Warden right. or Biden yeah. or Klobuchar or Buttigieg, which was like the last five standing. They right. all had things that like came out exactly. about them that weren't that great. Exactly. So um, yeah, it was there wasn't like a just a, a pure choice across the board. Right. I would say Sanders is definitely appealing morally. Um, I think I would have liked to have seen Sanders on the ballot, but alas, that's not where we're at. So you know, the country might not have been ready for him or someone yeah. like him. Um, yeah, I would agree. So being in Wisconsin, and like mm-hmm. I, I think I joked about you with this like during one of our breaks, uh, your yeah. vote actually matters. Because <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. for about like 30, well, for 30 plus states in this country, their votes technically, I mean, I guess technically they matter, but realistically to the individual person, they probably don't think they matter. Like the person mm-hmm. who's a staunch Democrat in Alaska, you know, probably doesn't feel that politically motivated to try to help Joe Biden get elected. And the person who is, a, right. you know, a staunch, you know, like Republican in California, like, you know, they can wave the Trump 2020 flag all they want to, but California is not going red. Right. Um, so for a lot of those people, you know, voting for a third party could feel, you know, like, like you're trying to help out the, the little person, you know, trying mm-hmm. to help that person get some more representation. However, you're in Wisconsin, so your vote actually does legitimately matter. So, like, <laughs> what is the mood around where you live at? Like, are people, like, leaning more towards Biden or towards Trump? Is it mixed? Like, what is it like over there? I would say I'm, I'm getting a mix of people. Um, I think that within my more left-leaning friends, there's a lot more frustration about this election. I think that the people who are going to vote for Trump we're always thinking about voting for Trump and that's not going to change. I think that the people who were going to vote, you know, on the Democrat side are in a very frustrating position right now. Um, I think that, you know, just with the friend group that I have and just like being the age that I am, most of the people I know and most of the, and obviously being a social worker as well, most of the people I interact with um, are going to be that left leaning Right. Um, well, how old are you, by the way? I'm 23. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I see most people probably going towards that left, but definitely I know a lot of people who are voting for Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, there's there's a part of me that's like still kind of shocked that after what we've seen in these past three and a half, you know, coming on four years, <laughs> to think about voting for him. But I think that sometimes people have those blinders on where they don't want to look around um, and see what's going on. So I think in Wisconsin too, there's been a big push to get Kanye on the ballot as well. Um, But most of the people pushing to get Kanye on the ballot are Republicans. Republicans. So yeah. So there's like a lot of big Republican names that are kind of, I wouldn't say secretly doing it, but like, I think that you would have to do your research to know that they're the ones pushing to have him on. Right. Mm -hmm. I was about to ask you, what do you think about Kanye? But I'm actually just going to skip right over that because, you know, it's just not necessary. Yeah. (laughs) Um, God, there is 
So if you were going to vote for Biden, what what mm-hmm. would be your reasons for doing so? Like, it, yeah. just tell me a little bit about your like um, surrendering to Biden, I, I think is yes. more or less what it's come down to. I would say that my vote for Biden, and I'm going to, I know pretty clear about this, is, that it's just a vote against Donald Trump at this point. Um, so I think there is too much at risk when it comes to some of these bigger issues, and especially when it comes to someone who works with people who, you know, are on Title 19, there's just too much at risk to look at third-party candidates at this point. Um, Maybe if Donald Trump was a little bit more moderate, and maybe if I thought that there was any way, shape, or form that I think we could go on like this for another four years, I would be okay, you know, not voting for Biden and voting for somebody else. But at this point, it's just kind of there's too much at risk to not vote for Biden, in my opinion. I think especially when we're looking at immigration policy as well, um, you know, with some big things going on with DACA, I think that we need to put a Democrat in the White House, even if it's someone I'm not super excited to have there. Now, I saw that DACA was in the news recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, What exactly was going on with that? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh, I have to think about there's been some, I think, wasn't there a big Supreme Court case with it? I believe there was. I'll have, yeah. to, we'll have to circle back to that one. I, I don't yes. have that, that subject uh, memorized at the mm-hmm. moment. But, you know, one of the things that I kind of worried about right now with this election is just all the things going on with just the ability to vote. Yeah. Um, seeing that the post office is under attack right now, there was something that happened last night, apparently. I was going to read up on that story, but I wasn't able to really get through the details of it. Um, there is just pushes right now from Trump and others in the Republican Party who are trying to smear the idea of voting by mail as if they're trying to push people to wait in long lines during a pandemic to vote. Right. It just... It's, it seems awful to me that instead of trying to find a way to make it safer for people to vote, they just mm-hmm. want to just diminish voting by mail in any way, shape or form. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, like our election this, this year as far as like our ability to vote? Like, do you do you like believe in mail in voting? Like, where do you stand on that? I think mail in voting is actually a really good way to get everyone um, able to vote. I think that I, in my field, particularly working with people who may have, who might have physical barriers when it comes to even getting into a polling office, whether or not there's a pandemic going on, I think that there's always been some of these barriers. And I think that mail-in voting is actually a good way to assist with some of those persons, you know, when it comes to voting. Um, so I'm all, I'm all for mail-in voting. Um, I think that, there's going to be risks with anything, but at this point I would rather, you know, do that mail-in voting than go to a polling page, go to a polling place and risk getting sick with a virus that could potentially, you know, kill someone that I work with. So. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like coronavirus, you know, is still like not really being taken that seriously by a lot Mm -hmm. of people in this country. 
I mean, I live in the state of Montana, so like I, I see the differences just from like town to town around here. I feel like there's certain towns that are taking it more seriously than other towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has it been like over where you're at? Like, how are people yeah. approaching the virus in Wisconsin? Are people taking it seriously? Are people like calling it a hoax? Like, what, what's it like over there? I would say in Wisconsin, in particular, now I am in a unique situation where I am. I have a lot of family in Minnesota. So, I, you know, I'm watching Minnesota take it very seriously and I'm watching, you know, their policies go through to protect people. And I would say in Wisconsin, um, it is a state where there's a lot of people who are very blue and there's a lot of people who are very red. And our current leader, our current governor is Tony Evers, who's, you know, a Democrat. Um, and so I think a lot of people don't even want to listen to him simply because he's a Democrat. And I think that we recently just got a statewide mask mandate. And I think that, in my opinion, wearing a mask isn't really that restrictive. It isn't really that big of a deal. But people are really taking it as an insult. Um, And I think a lot of people, too, do view this virus as a hoax. I I have a lot of people still say that it's just like the flu. I hear that, you know, maybe on a bi-daily basis where someone will just say, it's just like the flu or, you know, there's a 98% survival rate and stuff like that. And I think that people aren't looking at the bigger numbers that even if it's a higher survival rate, like 2% of the population is a lot of people, you know. So I think from there and schools in Wisconsin now are, I think most of them are starting online. And so I, I know a lot of close friends who are parents where they find that very frustrating and the whole thing is frustrating that, you know, if it were up to me, you know, I would be out at a bar tonight, but that's just not the way that it works. Um, and so I think in Wisconsin, people are frustrated with that too. There's a big drinking culture. And when people's, I mean, when people's access to bars was impacted, people got upset, you know, they were very upset about that. And I think that some people think that's small, but that's a big part of Wisconsin culture. Right. Um, as well as athletics, people really love the Green Bay Packers here. Um, I'm not a I'm not a football fan. I'm not a sports fan in general, but people are starting to get nervous and think that they might not be able to see their Packers play, and that's very serious to a lot of Wisconsinites. So, um, so are the bars closed completely in Wisconsin? They are not anymore. They were for a good probably two or three months. Okay. Um, right now they're open. There is supposed to be an indoor mask mandate. I live in, I don't live in Milwaukee County. I actually live in Waukesha County. Um, So things are kind of different county by county as well. Um, Originally our county, everything basically opened up, you know, July 1st at full capacity. You know, people were doing kind of what they wanted. Um, So I don't go many places within my county because of that, because I don't feel that it's necessarily safe. But now with the mask mandate, things are a little better. The bars are open, um, but most of them are outdoor. I actually haven't been to a bar since they've opened, so I don't really know what that looks like yet. Um, I think that there's probably, like, limited capacity and stuff like that. But, yeah, they're open. They're just – there's restrictions. Okay. Yeah, no, we have – plenty of like restrictions going on around here in Montana as mm-hmm. well. We have, we had a statewide like mask mandate come down yeah. a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and there was, I live in the most liberal part of the state okay. and we had quite the backlash here. So like mm-hmm. I have some friends who live in more conservative parts of the state, which is basically the rest of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 
I don't even, I heard some like rumblings online about like what they were dealing with, you know, like over in their respective towns, but I'm right. sure whatever it was, it was a lot more ridiculous over there than it was here. Cause people were getting yeah. very upset here about all of that. I feel like as the weeks have gone on now, cause this was about like a month ago, almost I think it was like July 15th or something like that. You know, it's, it's gotten a lot more normalized now. There's a lot less like hostility about it, but right. You know, I still feel like, there are plenty of people who try to, you know, avoid putting masks on when they go into places if they can. So, but I'm, I'm just yeah. glad that most people are taking it seriously around here now. That's even with us having a relatively like low death toll. I mean, I feel right. like the whole state of Montana has like maybe 30 COVID deaths. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like that's it. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not a bad place to be right now. So no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the virus is definitely causing a lot of different problems with, you know, with everything. But I think the thing that I see, you know, like happening the most right now is like, you know, like we have Congress right now trying to pass several different like packages in order to keep the economy afloat. Um, Are a lot of like businesses like being shut down in your area? I've heard that's been happening in certain parts of the country. Is that like something that's happening over there where you're at? Like where like a lot of places are just going out of business because they just can't stay afloat during this time? I would say there there have been a few, you know, um, and no one likes to see that. I definitely don't. I mean, may, I don't want to say maybe that I'm not upset when the larger businesses close, but see, seeing a small business close is definitely upsetting. Um, I've seen a few vendors go online only. Um, one of my favorite restaurants actually ended up closing because um, they couldn't afford to stay open anymore. Um, but I would say many are able to stay afloat. Uh, my fiance's family, they actually own a restaurant over in uh Kenosha which is a little it's not super rural but it's a little bit more rural than we're gonna say Milwaukee is um and they've been able you know they didn't actually see a big hit on business um maybe a little bit but they've been able to stay open and functioning um but they chose to only go take out only um and I think that a lot of restaurants who chose to go take out only maybe are seeing a lot more hurt than the ones that did open up for indoor business um but yeah, I mean, I definitely know of a few places that have closed and a few businesses that, you know, have been impacted. Yeah, no, it is a shame seeing all that happen. I feel like mm-hmm. that's been definitely one of those things that hasn't really hit this area too hard yet. But I, mm-hmm. I've been hearing lots of people talking about how, you know, like if things don't get better, that it might start happening kind of like in mass around here. So mm-hmm. definitely one of those things to keep an eye on. Mary, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I really appreciate it. And, you know, one more time before you go, uh, please tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram one more time, just in case they missed it before the break. Yeah, for sure. So that's, uh, again, it's at Mary, M-A-R-Y underscore cat, C-A-T, and underscore demand, D-E-M-O-N-D. And again, that's at Mary Cat Demand. Um, I'm sorry, at Mary underscore cat underscore demand on Instagram. So... All right. Perfect. Thank you so much again for coming on and you are definitely welcome to come back anytime. Thank you to everyone listening out wherever it is that you are and I'll see you next time.
All right, everyone, that is our show for today. I want to thank you all for checking out Indie Thought. Independent Thought is brought to you by your host, Desmond Price. You can follow us on Twitter at Independent Thought or at Indie, I-N-D-E, Thought. So, again, thank you all for coming and hanging out with me. For those of you who found me on iTunes or on Spotify, please go ahead and subscribe to us. Give us a five-star rating. If you give us a four-star rating, I'm inclined to think you're a hater. So don't hate. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you all next time.